Star Wars 7x7 episode 700. Yes, it's true. 700 episodes of the only daily Star Wars podcast. And we have a bonus-length episode for you here today. A special interview with Chris Taylor, author of How Star Wars Conquered the Universe. This was actually written before The Force Awakens, so we're going to find out if there was anything left to conquer and whether The Force Awakens actually did it. Punch it, Chewie. Hi, this is Trisha Barr, author of Ultimate Star Wars and host of Fangirls Going Rogue, and you're listening to Star Wars 7x7, the only daily Star Wars podcast. Hey Rebel Rouser, welcome to Star Wars 7x7. I'm your host Alan Voivod and I'm thrilled to have Chris Taylor back on the podcast. I first interviewed him back at Star Wars Celebration Anaheim in April of 2015 and his was actually the first two-part interview that we've ever done on the podcast. That was episodes 311 and 312. It's kind of a shame, I guess, that it took me, what, 388 episodes to get him back on here? No fault of his own or anything like that, just... uh, You know, time marches on, Star Wars marches on, and all that fun stuff. But really excited to have him on, as I've said. And he had been battling a bout of laryngitis, actually. So thankfully, we caught him on the back end of that. And he was able to make it through talking some deep stuff about Star Wars, the trilogies, and Mr. Lucas himself, and all sorts of other fun stuff. So have a listen. Chris Taylor, welcome to Star Wars 7x7. Once again, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, my voice is a little, uh, a little froggy, but um, but we'll see how it holds up. And I'm very grateful that you elected to push the limits of your voice, considering what you've been through the past few days. Oh, no problem at all. It's uh, it's a delight to to be on the podcast. So happy to do it. Thank you very much. Well, I want to start you off with a question that I've been wondering about for a while, and that's considering the title of your book, How Star Wars Conquered the Universe. Uh, I got to ask you, <laughs> was was there anything left to conquer between the time it came out and the release of The Force Awakens? And if so, did The Force Awakens conquer whatever it was that there was left to be conquered? Well, there, there are always new worlds for, for Star Wars to conquer because we seem to have this habit of continually creating new human beings. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> so there are always new generations to be introduced to Star Wars and Obviously, I think The Force Awakens successfully did that. Um, and uh, I think it's wonderful that those generations got to choose from so many heroes in the movie. Um, and you can never quite tell. I mean, you know, you you have little boys who want to be Rey. Um, when I went back to see my cousins in Liverpool, you know, all of whom are under 10, um, they all wanted to be Finn, uh, male and female, which, you know, was an interesting choice, but <clears throat> you know, uh, kids are um, like that. They're, they always have their their preferences. You know, George Lucas once thought that kids preferred the prequels and grown-ups preferred the the uh, original trilogy. Um, but it isn't. You know, you, anyone you talk to, it isn't like that. They have favorite movies from across the original six. So uh, yeah, you know, it's definitely been that case with the Force Awakens as well. And, um, yeah, so, and I also think that there were generations to reconquer. I think there are a lot of casual fans who had lost their connection to, uh, the original trilogy, um, who came back into the fold. Um, and I think there were, there were new countries to conquer, um, China being one of them where Star Wars was only officially shown 
for the first time in 2015. So, yeah, you know, it's um, it, it's a nice metaphor to say that Star Wars had conquered the universe and indeed it had conquered our cultural universe here in the US and here in the West. But there, there are always gaps within that and there are uh, always new generations and uh, countries that aren't as familiar with it as they should be. Uh, and people who who need to reconnect with it. So, yes, many new worlds. Do you think that the generations that have been introduced to it with the advent of The Force Awakens and future generations as we go, do you think they're going to obsess over Star Wars the way that our generation does and, you know, maybe the generation after it does? I think so. I think obsession over storyline is uh, is just a a function of our society these days and we do it more and more i mean just look at game of thrones um you know you you might say well there's there's so much media out there today there are there are so many stories how can we follow them all it's all going to get lost in the noise um but when we find a story that we really like that grabs us we will obsess at a level that would have made I think George Lucas in 1977 go, whoa, <laughs> hang on a minute. Um, <clears throat> to be honest, I think it makes George Lucas now go, whoa. But, yeah, um, but yeah you know, you look at the, the fan theories. I mean, um, at Mashable, you know, we, um, we've been covering Game of Thrones a lot and we've discovered that, you know, people like all, all of our Game of Thrones stories, but um, especially popular anytime we bring up a fan theory. There seems to be this inexhaustible appetite for, you know, oh, well, what if this person is this person's relative? And, you know, what if this meant that? And what if this prophecy was referring to that? <clears throat> and, of course, Star Wars is in the same genre. It's a fantasy. And it has the same kind of hooks that draw you in. Certainly has the same kind of fan theories. Um, I don't think that any Game of Thrones fan theory is going to surpass the who is, you know, who is Ray, who was Ray's parents. Right. Uh, many theories that, I mean, you know, the, the theories are limited, but everyone knows them, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas with Game of Thrones, it's, the theories are many, and we sort of have to try to bring them all to light. But, um, but yeah, I think that, I think we're obsessing over story more than ever. Uh, I think that's a good thing, because I think it keeps the storyteller on their toes, um, to surprise us, to genuinely surprise us, they're going to have to, you know, pull a lot of tricks out of their pocket and really think about what makes a satisfying conclusion to a story that you never saw coming. So, you know, let's uh, let's hope that Ryan Johnson has that um, has that magic. I certainly hope so too. And I have to ask then, what's your favorite theory about who's who Ray's parents are? Well, I mean. J.J. Abrams has said now that it's not anyone we saw in episode seven, right? So that that just immediately discounts the uh, Skywalker theory and the Solo Organa theory. <clears throat> that basically leaves us with two. I'm not counting that crazy, you know, clone of Darth Vader or clone of the Emperor theory <laughs> no. uh, <laughs> that I've seen going on. Um, so it comes down to the Kenobi theory. Or the she's just no one theory, or no one that we know about yet. Um, and I like both of those for different reasons. I like <clears throat> I like the Kenobi theory because it brings in another family into the Star Wars saga. 
that can presumably continue its lineage. Um, it does also mean that we'll need another, uh, another kind of, you know, anthology film to explain who Ray's parents were and how Obi-Wan, you know, fathered a child on Tatooine. I think that's, uh, that would be a good reason to get, uh, uh, you know, to get our favorite Obi-Wan back in the mix. Um, excuse me, but, uh, I, I really, you know, overall, I, I think I prefer the she's no one theory. Hmm. Um, you know, as much as I want to see an anthology film with Ewan McGregor explain how this all works. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, the third time I saw the force awakens, I saw it with a, um, a friend who's on the younger side and kind of a casual fan of star Wars. And she said, you know, I really hope that she's nobody because if she's nobody, she's me. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. 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 You know, and all, all fans are looking for that, that kind of connection. So I, yeah, I think I have sentimental attachment, attachment to that theory. How many times have you seen the force awakens or have you lost count at this point? <clears throat> I've lost count because I had to rewatch it a lot for a story. I did comparing, um, new hope and force awakens mm-hmm. minute by minute. Oh. Um, you know, in this, uh, in a desire to put to put to bed once and for all this notion that it is a remake um, instead of having homages and echoes, mm-hmm. uh, you know that that real trigger word remake that uh, you know really got a lot of people incensed. Um, and uh, so yeah, I had to keep rewinding it a lot, rewatching it a lot, and so I do not have an official count. I saw it four times in theaters though, and uh, you know X many more on Blueberry. Are you able to enjoy it uh, as a fan anymore, whether it's The Force Awakens in specific or any of the Star Wars movies in general, considering how much writing you've done about Star Wars over the last few years? You know, you you have a point there. It is is hard to watch it without a little voice at the back of your head going, you know, (laughs) this would be a good story. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or, you know, spitting up ideas on its own. Uh, Or saying, oh, hey, I'd never noticed this thing before. Like, you know, on this rewatch for comparing the two movies, I realized I'd never, you know, I was, I thought, am I blind? I'd never seen Han Solo's driving gloves before. <laughs> and I never realized that's what he was wearing. Mm-hmm. So I had to, uh, I had to tweet about that. I'd stop and screenshot and, and share that and just talk about the driving gloves and then about how they disappear in the next scene. Um, so yeah, it is difficult to just completely take off the writer hat uh, or certainly the Twitter user hat and enjoy everything as a kid again. But I think part of the magic of Star Wars is that it takes you there anyway. Um, And you do find yourself losing yourself. And there are moments, um, certainly with The Force Awakens, which was very successful in immersing you in this new universe where you just sort of feel like you're there. And, you know, those, those are the moments watching it that I treasure. Uh, where you forget who you are and you're just, you know, you're there in that that tent with uh, Poe Dameron and Lor Santeca. Yeah, it does have that 
magical quality. Thank goodness that it does. That <laughs> that somehow I think had been a little bit missing, um, maybe from the past three movies that had come out, where just that immersive sensation mm. that you get. Uh, you're absolutely correct about that. I think. Yeah, I wanted to be immersed in the prequels, and I found that uh, I just kept wondering about, oh well, who chooses their couches? You know, <laughs> why is the decor so spare in Palpatine's office? And it does look like, um, at least, at least they were conscious about bringing some of the elements of the original trilogy there, like making Palpatine's chair similar to his mm. chair from Return of the Jedi and so forth. But he really favors those high back chairs. Yes, he does. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, Lumbar of, support. Futuristic Queen Anne style, that sort of thing. <laughs> Oh, goodness. And I've just been joined by my cat. I take it you have a cat, Mowgli. Is that who that is? That's correct, yes. Mowgli, who is um, thanked at the end of the acknowledgments, but I realized after the book went to press, I never actually said that he was a cat. Ah, yes. <laughs> it was It was kind of easy to guess because, at least just behaviorally, my cat, mm-hmm. Indy, just showed up and uh, purred into the microphone a little bit. So <laughs> They love that. They love whenever you're doing anything important or busy. Exactly. That's when they want to insert themselves. <laughs> um, I did actually have a moment um, similar to you describing Han and his driving gloves. And it's actually the trivia question we asked in the last episode um, that The Force Awakens shares something in common with only the Phantom Menace in terms of its lightsaber usage. And, I mean, I'm throwing this at you out of the blue. So any guesses to what that might be? Gosh, not off the top of my head, I have to say. It's a tough uh, one. It's uh, There are no dismemberments. Right. And I didn't, like, it was one of those things where I just it flashed through my head and I said, wait a minute, that didn't happen, did it? And I ended up getting the DVD out and scanning through every scene where the lightsaber was lit up, not even in the force back that Ray has, like all the visions that she has. Every time the lightsaber is used, it's either thrust through somebody, uh, like First Order Stormtroopers or the mysterious mm-hmm. um, creature that we see with um, the Knights of Ren, or it's, you know, the the scarring that happens when, you know, Ray hits um, Kylo with it or um, Finn hits him or the little Quillians hit Finn when Kylo Ren's twisting the saber into him, you know, but no actual hands or arms actually get lost or anything like that. Maybe in the the previous 30 years, the galaxy has finally learned that lightsabers are not for amputations. (laughs) I have, I, I, I feel like that's just such an odd coincidence. It almost made me wonder if they're, looking at ring theory stuff and uh, if they were talking to Mike Klimo about mm. the fact that, hmm, well, we got to make one look like seven or something like that. Could be. That could be. Um, I, I don't know. You, you got me wondering now uh, because one thing I can't unsee once it has been pointed out is the fact that all of the, um, certainly all the prequel movies have this, scenes where a lightsaber goes clattering to the floor, mm. right? And we focus on the lightsaber as it goes down. Okay. And I don't know why George did that, but he seemed to love that particular shot. Hmm. I've got to go back and see now, is there a scene in The Force Awakens where we follow the lightsaber as it falls to the floor, right? Interesting. Uh, was it yeah. just... <laughs> do we, do you just sort of trust the uh, the viewers to know that the lightsaber has fallen, you know, and it's there in the snow. It's okay. We don't need to watch it. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't have, I don't think there's any hard floor clattering anymore mm. because mm-hmm. it only hits the dirt in Takadana. Yeah. So only hits the snow on Starkiller Base. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't think um, I don't think Ray actually drops the thing inside the castle. I think she gives it to. I don't even remember how it gets from her hand to Maz Kanata's hand. Quite honestly, well, she must be Mary Sue. She doesn't drop a lightsaber. I mean, <laughs> all right, all right. Um, <laughs> time to go back and watch, I guess. Indeed. So one of the things that startled me in the book was a maxim that you said you heard repeated by veterans in Lucasfilm's design department. They say to make Mm. Star Wars, you've got to hate Star Wars. And that just kind of blew my mind. And I'd love for you to explain. You give a bit of an explanation in the book, and I'd love for you to share it here on the podcast as well, even if you've had some extra time to run that through your head, um, Mm. what they actually mean by that. Well, I mean that, you know, it isn't, you shouldn't quite take it literally. It is a bit of hyperbole. I mean, obviously, they don't, they don't sit there loathing Star Wars with a passion <laughs> or, you know, talking loudly about how much they love Star Trek every day. Oh. Uh, no, it's, it's more that you have to treat it non-reverentially. Um, and I think that, I mean, look, look at Pablo Hidalgo. I think he's a great example of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at his Twitter feed, uh, he is mocking Star Wars more than anyone else. <laughs> um, and, and he loves it. You know, he's, he's there on the inside. But, you know, he loves posting pictures of obscure cast members and, and joking about them, you know, that, that sort of stuff. It's, I, I get, I, and I think there is this sort of healthy attitude inside the, uh, the Death Star, as they call it, <laughs> uh, at Lucasfilm. Uh, that it's like, okay, you know, that yeah, this was a space fantasy series and, and it got huge and everyone loves it, but it's just it's just a story and it's just space fantasy. And if you want to make more of it, you've got to not be kind of obsessing over, you know, the tiny questions of canon. Um, you've got to be obsessing over what makes a good story. Not, uh, you know, not obsessing over, oh, well, this design of this spaceship looks like the one that existed 30 years ago in universe. Uh, you know, maybe there's a little bit of that, but it's, it's mostly what is a cool design for a cool spaceship, right? So it's a lack of reverence. It's a willingness to wipe the slate clean, uh, as was done with the expanded universe controversially. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think necessarily, um, and it's, yeah, it's just that sense of, of just really not taking it too seriously and, being able to go home at the end of the day and switch off uh, and then come back to it fresh. Because otherwise, if, you, if you're really reverential about it, you know, it's great if you're a fan, but if you're actually working there, I think that that, that would just be death for the series. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would become too plodding. Um, it would reference itself too much. Uh, it wouldn't advance. It wouldn't take risks, uh, you know, which is, an issue that's much in the news with the, with Rogue One and yes. question of reshoots and how dark of a movie is it going to be? And a lot of us have piped up and said, well, actually, we we want it to be a dark movie. We want Star Wars to go in a new and interesting direction. Um, you know, let's let's see Saving Private Ryan in space, <laughs> uh, which is how it was originally touted. Let, let's actually see what that would look like. Let's take a risk, you know, because this... This is the spirit that George brought to the original trilogy. Um, it's also kind of the spirit that he brought to the prequels. And I, I, you know, a lot of people say, well, well, you know, Force Awakens is too um, slavishly similar 
shall we say, to to the original trilogy. And obviously there were many deliberate homages in that. I think at that point people started to see that George had been a little more loose and free with the prequels, um, that he was kind of trying something new, and that maybe if he hadn't tried to echo himself so much, um, you know, maybe if he wasn't doing ring theory, if that is indeed what he was doing, um, you know, it might have hampered the story less. Um, but he was certainly trying to do this thing that was new and much more political um, and much more behind the scenes and, you know, obviously much more set on Coruscant and, and all of that. So, yeah, you know, and, and, and Dave Filoni tells a, a similar story about being with George and they're sitting alone at dinner and uh, they have some obscure point that, um, you know, will affect Star Wars canon in some way. Uh, this is when they're, they're doing Clone Wars. Uh, and George just sort of starts sketching it out on the back of a napkin. And Filoni had this epiphany where he's like, oh, well, this this is the guy who did that originally. This is all on the back of a napkin to him. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, you know, and, and I also think, uh, again, back to Pablo, he posted uh, a picture yesterday, I think it was, of um, something, you know, it's not news, it's been in the, the Rinsler books, but a picture of... Uh, George's outline for, like, it was a 12-movie outline. And every single, this was back in 76 or 75, mm-hmm. at that timeline, every single space was blank. Right. <laughs> every episode, except six, which later became four. <clears throat> you know, um, and everything was in there. It's like, here's George's outline, you know. That was how he treated it, very very loosely, not not a lot was sketched in, Um and he often described it as playing jazz. Um, and I think if you're too reverential, you're playing classical music. But George Lucas always played jazz. And he uh, he encouraged us, uh, you know, the, the, the people who followed him in making Star Wars movies to do the same. And hopefully they will. And that's going to do it for the first half of our interview with Chris Taylor. Tune in tomorrow for the back half. If you had to name an iconic special effect from the Star Wars movies, holograms would jump instantly to mind. From the moment Princess Leia appeared in R2-D2's very sneakily done Help Me Obi-Wan Kenobi, You're My Only Hope hologram, everybody has been captivated and transported by the mystery of the technology as well as the mystery of the story it told. That's why I want you to check out SW7X7.com slash hologram to see what Zebra Imaging created with the R2-D2 and Princess Leia scene as well as their other holograms as well. It's almost as good as having the real thing right in your home. One more time, that's SW7X7.com slash hologram to see it for yourself. All right, before we go, I just want to say thank you so much for all of your support of the podcast, especially the patrons of the show at patreon.com slash SW7X7. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash SW7X7. You're probably going to hear it in the outro as well. And if you listen to this podcast on a day-to-day basis, then please do consider putting something in the tip jar every month through Patreon. Thank you so much for the kind ratings on iTunes and the kind words you've shared on Facebook and Twitter. It's a pleasure to do this, and it's so wonderful that you all have been so receptive to the idea of a daily Star Wars podcast. I'm thrilled to do it for you, and hey, here's to another 700 episodes. In fact, I did the math. We're actually going to hit episode 1,000 before the next Star Wars celebration happening in Orlando in April of 2017. 
Who should we get for that milestone? Let us know in the comments of the blog post for this show's episode at SW7X7.com. Thanks for listening to another episode of Star Wars 7x7. And hey, before you go caressing a senator, check out SW7x7.com for show notes, links, photos, videos, and more. And if you want to join the inner circle of fans of the podcast, become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash SW7x7. It's not coarse like sand, it's destiny unleashed. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2016 Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.